1: One of my favorite channels is military history, or the history channels in general, or National Geographic. I stumbled upon War Dogs of the Pacific, documentary story of the Marine dog platoons of World War II. And they show these men, uh, the Marines, they must be in their 80s when they were interviewed for this, uh, or older. And these are the men who saved us from Hitler. These are the men without whom uh, we would be speaking German or we'd be lampshades. These are the men who, when you look at them, I mean, they bring tears to your eyes. And then they flash back to these men in Saipan when they were in their 20s. You see the young man and the old man. And when they were young men, they were dog handlers. And the dogs were largely either, uh, uh, what were they, a Doberman Pinschers or uh, German Shepherds. And the interesting part was, is that they were uh, given to these men by ordinary American citizens and they were trained to kill. They were trained to hunt out japanese in the jungles and you look at the tales of devotion and bravery and sacrifice by the dog handlers themselves and the dogs and the bond between the men and the dogs from saipan okinawa and iwo jima these are the best and, the, and just the best men america has ever seen and we still have many of them believe me in the military the best men in the world and that's why i supported them when bush permitted them to be hung out and dried with uh false court-martials, some of them are still hanging out there. I gave my own money. Many of you contributed money to Colonel Chisani's cause because Bush could have pardoned them. He never did. Instead, he pardoned drug dealers and other criminals. It's unbelievable what these two administrations have done to our military. So when I look back, when I watch these documentaries of World War II and I see the faces, these are ordinary Americans uh, fighting the hardest kind of fight there is, you know, hand-to-hand combat. Smoking out the Japanese in caves, also very hard men. And you reach a point where you see the dogs. Now, these guys are now doing jungle fighting. They're afraid of snipers, Japanese snipers. A man's senses can only see and hear and smell so far. But a dog's senses are hundreds of times greater, obviously. So a dog is, I think, 400 times greater sense of scent than a man. Never mind the hearing, okay? So they're in the jungle now. They're creeping along, hoping they don't get killed from a Japanese sniper, let us say, on Okinawa or Iwo Jima or Saipan. And they need a dog. So they got the dogs now. The dogs now are let go, and the dogs go ahead of them. The dog can hear a Japanese sniper in a tree 100 yards away. So they knock him out of the tree. Many, many American men are li- were able to live, come home, contribute to society, create a family because of the dogs. They saved many lives in the Pacific. And if you watch this, and then you see that the Japanese learn that the dogs were real threats to them. They started shooting the dogs first. And then then they flash back to one of the older gentlemen who was a Marine in, in one of these theaters of operation. And he says, after they shot one of our dogs, we really got mad. And you see the grit come out in this guy. And, you know, when he says we really got mad. But then you see other scenes in there that are going to rip your guts out. For example, <clears throat> one of the dog handlers. Remember, these dogs were trained to kill, number one. They were ordinary dogs from households voluntarily given to the military. They were trained to attack and kill by military dog handlers. They had to be trained to kill. So now they're trained to kill. They're brought out into the islands to, to help fight the Japanese in World War Two, And so... They're also trained to kill anyone who tries to hurt their handler. Talk about, you know, loyalty. They show one of the handlers getting shot. The Marine medic goes in to treat him. The dog lets the medic treat the handler. When the man dies, the dog suddenly becomes atavistic, growls, snaps, and threatens the Americans who want to come near the dead body. Uh, You look at a thing like this and, you know, you have to understand, you have to own a dog to understand what what this scene is. That the dog, trained to protect that man, will protect that man's corpse with his life. It's unbelievable. Then you see men whose dogs get killed who go to pieces. You see men feeding the dogs the last of their own rations. You see men giving the dog the last bit of food that they have. The dog becomes... The last thing they have that they love in the world, in the middle of the hell that they were put. Then you see scenes of men who go to pieces. There was one scene in passing. I had seen something like this once before in my life, of men who break down in combat. I saw this uh, uh, before. I may have seen it in uh, in passing in some of the in documentaries, but there was one scene that was astounding. Now you're talking about the hardest men who were sent out. Into, the, into these island fights, hand-to-hand combat, the most horrendous, uh, gut-tearing stuff you could ever imagine. We can only imagine what these men had to live through. I don't know if men could do this anymore. I really don't know if anyone could do it in the America of today. I truly don't know if they could do this anymore. I wonder if there are men left that could do this, or they're all locked, locked up in Pelican Bay. I'm not sure anymore. I watched this show and you see a man who broke down from the from the combat from the ugliness from the horror of the blood and the guts and the killing and the murder and he's crying like a baby <clears throat> sucking his thumb it's unbelievable to see this this in the middle of this and another marine is holding him with his arm around him and he's sitting there crying and shuddering like a baby sucking his own thumb he had a total crack up in the in the midst of this ugly horrendous combat now this was in passing but, you know, we're talking about uh, something else, which is the dog thing, the war dogs of the Pacific. But I'm, I'm bringing that up as a side note. Okay, so now the war ends. The Army shoots their dogs. You hear this? The Army decides that all the dogs that fought so loyally in World War II should be killed. They shoot all the dogs that they used. The Marines refused to go along with the program. In other words, in those days, they would not be obotomized. The Marines said, go to hell, we're not shooting. Our dogs we will shoot you first. So the Marines said, we're not shooting them. We're not going to go along with the Obama program of the day, in other words, just because Big Brother told us to. We'll shoot you first. We're not killing our dogs. They were our best friend. They kept us alive, dropped dead. So the Marine Corps backs up. The fat asses back home who decided to shoot the dogs suddenly, the fat asses back in Camp Lejeune who never fought, suddenly get f- frightened of the Marines and say, all right, we won't kill the dogs. Meanwhile, they have 540 killer dogs in their hands, and they don't know what to do with them. So you know what the men say? We will retrain them to become domesticated again. And they work 12, 15 hours a day, and they do teach old dog, dogs new tricks, and they retrain them to be able to integrate back with families. So out of the four, 540 or so dogs that fought with the men in the Pacific, who were killers, trained to kill, only four had to be euthanized. It's a story that is astounding, and I would highly recommend that you try to catch War Dogs of the Pacific on uh, the Military History Channel when it's replayed, and I don't know when it'll be replayed. The historical footage and uh, never-before-seen photos are are astounding, and it was done by a a director uh, named Harris Dunn, who was a graduate of the USC School of Cinema, and he earned a degree in film production. But uh, he did, main, you know, uh, thrillers uh, such as, uh, uh, I don't know, family comedies, Bonjour, Buddy. and But this feature documentary directing debut with War Dogs of the Pacific about the Marine War ha- dog handles of World War II is astounding. Any dog lover should watch this, and it'll give you a new appreciation for not only the intelligence of dogs, the loyalty of dogs, but the devotion and the bravery and sacrifice of the United States Marine Corps. This is the Savage Nation. I'll be right back. Savage. Michael Savage, a host like no other.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Let's go to Washington, D.C. W T N T J. go ahead, please. What's on your mind?
2: Yes, yeah, uh, Michael. Uh, I've been waiting for somebody to talk about this subject a long time. Actually, the one of the Uh, Marines that was instrumental in keeping those dogs from being killed was a gentleman named Colonel William Putney. Uh, Hmm. Putney has a book you can read. It's called, of all things, it's called Semper Fi. It's about Hmm. the Third third War Dog Company, and it discusses uh, those many subjects that you've just gone over.
1: But but he stood up to the Marine Corps uh, brass and said, we're not killing them, I guess. That's what he had to do.
2: Correct. And his men loved him. Uh, all those families that got him. But he, he was alive up until about four years ago and passed away. But uh, that, <clears throat> that, you know, well, there
1: goes, there goes the last, uh, you know, where are they today when they go and fight in Iraq? If they actually do the right job that they're trained to do, they get court-martialed by George Bush in the last administration and probably with Michael Mullen now in the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff. A guy's afraid to fire a gun without uh, consulting a manual.
2: He would, have, he would have been he would have been outed. I mean, he would have never been would have never been on the the, the uh, admiral staff or flag officer back then. He was He's. A, I mean, I don't really say. But this Colonel Putney, as far as I'm concerned, he should have got the Medal of Honor. But read that book, Semper Fi. And the one thing I Let want me to ask you,
1: Jay, where is the dog cemetery that I saw at the end of the documentary? They apparently have a cemetery of these dogs somewhere. Where is that? Oh, boy, that's a good question. Uh, I couldn't believe it. It was an actual War Memorial Cemetery for these heroic dogs. It was unbelievable. Thank you for the call. Here we have a caller from Los Angeles who who says he knew Colonel Putney. Steve, on KGIL, thank you for calling. Go ahead, please. Yes, I
3: knew Dr. Putney. Uh, Guam was where they have the statue.
1: In Guam. That's where the dog's uh, cemetery is. Cemetery there.
3: I, I, I met Dr. Savage when I I mean, uh, Dr. Putney when I was like 23 years old. He was 50 years old. We were the best of friends. Uh, we used to play golf together once a, uh, once a week. Uh, Isn't mean, uh, that,
1: well, what did uh, he tell you about the, the whole dog program, Steve, that you could share with the audience today?
3: You know what? I, uh, we became such good friends. I used to go, he had a, 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 a dog kennel down in, uh, let's say, Canoga Park that I used to go down with him all the time.
1: <laughs> and you mean and, and this was after the war, of course?
3: Uh, we're talking 1973,
1: 74. And, I, and so, he co- so what I'm hearing is he continued his love for dogs into the latter part of his life, long after the war.
3: Uh, yeah, he, I, I think he passed away about four years ago. Yeah, he was a veterinarian until uh, uh, I think when he passed away about four years ago.
1: Oh, he was a vet. The colonel was a veteran. Oh yeah. I mean, was a veteran a veterinarian? The vet was a veterinarian. Oh yes. I didn't know that.
3: Oh yeah, big time. He he talked.
1: And and Steve, did he tell you any stories of the war that would be worth sharing right now?
3: Yes, he says. You know, when we were out and the the walking around in the bushes and everything else and and leading dogs, he wasn't so much the leader because he was uh, he was the lieutenant. Uh, I think he uh, went up to like captain or uh, you know I, I.
1: don't remember but uh you know what i that's okay i'm gonna tell it's thank you very much for that sharing now he brought back a memory from the documentary let's just let him throw one more piece in after the men had shown how good these dogs were in combat they were rewarded with another stripe they were moved up the ranks and then the commander said to them but because you've moved up from corporal you can no longer be a dog handler because that's for a lower ranked man the men, almost to a man, ripped the stripe off their body and said, we'd rather remain a corporal in order to stay with our dogs. No, thank you. You can keep your stripe. Welcome back, Mr. and Mrs. North and South America all the ships at sea. Let's go to press. I don't care if you're in light air, light breeze, gentle breeze, moderate breeze, fresh breeze, strong breeze, near gale, gale, strong gale, storm, violent storm, a hurricane. Wherever you are on the Beaufort scale, you're welcome on the Savage Nation. Let's go to San Diego. Don, welcome to the program.
4: By right, Dr. Savage, there's a real easy way to kill those flies on your sailboat if you, uh, if you blow on them lightly since they're used to being on the ocean and when the wind blows, they tend to cling on to you. You blow on them lightly, you can swat them in no problem.
1: Wait, wait, say that again. You blow on them lightly and what, they get stupefied from the, from the halitosis?
4: Yeah, it delays their reaction. No, not from the halitosis. They're just used to being on the windy ocean. So when you blow on them, they cling on so they don't get blown away
1: and oh like if they're they're, they've alighted on your on your uh, dashboard so you blow on them so they 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 stick to it to to figure they're going to be blown and then you swat them absolutely i'm not a sailor i admire people who know how to sail i don't like particularly dodging them on the weekend in san francisco bay because they won't vary their their course by one degree but they'd rather have a head-on collision than change one degree you have a powerboat so i don't have to move you schmuck i mean you all not have a collision you never saw such arrogance the sailors I'm a very defensive uh, boat driver. I, I usually divert, I'll move. The, but you should see the idiots in the sailboats. I have a sailboat and I have the right of way and I don't care if we kill everybody. I'm not changing course by one I iota. Not one degree off, not two degrees. I'm staying on my course, you schmucks, you. I never saw such stupidity as I see in sailors on the, on the bay. New York, Joe, you're on the Savage Nation from WOR. What's on your mind, Joe?
4: I'd like to ask you about organized religion. I know that you believe in moral absolutes. And I'm not okay. sure if this is what you mean when you say that you don't believe in organized religion. But like David Skolansky said, who was a famous poker player, he said, if there's 100 religions in the world, 99 have to be wrong. Is that, is that what you mean when you say you don't believe in organized religion?
1: Well, I've heard something like that before from someone, which is that all the religions can't be right if they all say that only their God is the only way. I understand that but i would say that that's a distortion of man's view of god rather than a distortion of god himself
4: well to that i would say why would the superior being be condescending to the inferior being why not would he why not would he require it the other way around
1: what do you mean by condescending and what in what manner
4: he, he he's, he's he's asking the the inferior being which is man he, he's pandering to him rather than say rather rather than saying be like me he's saying i'll be like you
1: I really can't follow you. I really don't know what you what you. I mean, I understand that you're a smart guy and you're an atheist and you want to convince me that atheism is the clever way to to, to follow. But get back to me after you have cancer. I mean, God forbid. Tell me if you're still an atheist.
4: I love you, Joe. I really do.
1: Okay. I'm joking. Look, I pray to God you don't get it. But, you know, you never had a bad night where you prayed to God?
4: No, I pray to God all the time, and that's why I'm asking you. That's I see, I see, I see cognitive dissonance in your reasoning where, where you do believe... No, okay.
1: No, I'm, I'm being facetious, and I don't, don't mean to be nasty, but I, I didn't know where you were coming from. You sound like a lawyer. I know who I don't particularly like right now. You have the same voice, so forgive me. I was reacting as though it was him. So let's start from the top. Let me give you my religious view. Years ago, I read a book where um, a religious man wrote a book. It was a popular book, and he said that... <clears throat> he doesn't believe God, God is omnipotent, just omnipresent, and that if he believed God was omnipotent, he would give up his religion, all religion immediately. That made more sense to me than anything. What does he mean by God is not uh, omnipotent? Meaning God cannot control minutiae on the planet, meaning every little act of every little man, every little animal, right? But God is ever-present. God is everywhere, but God does not control everyone's motions and every act. And that made sense to me. Does that make sense to you?
4: Uh... Because of my religious beliefs, I have to disagree with that. I do believe in I do believe in, 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 uh, in God's sovereignty over even man's free will.
1: Okay, hold on, hold on. this is very interesting. So if a man is walking down the street and he's crossing the street with his three daughters and a car strikes them in the crosswalk and two of his daughters are killed, but he is not and one daughter is maimed, that's God's will.
4: I would say that's God will and I already know where you're going with this. How can those children how can God punish innocent children?
1: I no. would say How about in Connecticut? You're telling me that eleven year old girl deserves to be raped and set on fire by those two animals? That 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 was they that was their just dessert? For what? What did they do?
4: I don't know what they did. I am not omnipresent as you said before, like God.
1: So, you mean she committed a crime worse than, let's say, a mass murderer who's been protected by the liberals for 30 years on death row? So, she should have been punished immediately. Uh, but the guy on death row who actually raped and murdered a 15 year old who's been protected for 30 years, he shouldn't be punished immediately.
4: No, I. You I, 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 see, these, these are things that I can't explain. I can't explain. The the higher mind of God, the 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 modes of His reasoning. Okay, so
1: what I'm saying to you is, this book that I read, the book was called Peace of Mind, and he was trying to describe the highest state that man can achieve in the ordinary in an ordinary man's life. The highest state you can achieve is peace of mind without medication, right? Savage.